Photo Shelter presents Vision Slightly Blurred. I'm Alan Murabayashi. And I'm Sarah Jacobs. Sarah, the past week or so has been just one of those weeks in human history where you're like, oh my God, can, can more things go wrong around the world? Uh, I want to start with the horrific 7.2 uh, earthquake in Haiti. Uh, we started to see a stream of photos um, and we saw a nice recap over on the Atlantic set of AP photos uh, and a story called A Horrific Earthquake in Haiti. The typical destruction scenes of collapsed buildings and displaced people and piles of rubble and people, uh, you know, searching for their loved ones. And then just a few days later, Haiti was also hit by Tropical Storm Grace. So then all of a sudden we're confronted with these photos of high water levels, people, you know, going through the, the water, carrying things over their head. We see outdoor triage areas. Uh, the visual story from this area is just, it's horrific. Yeah, it's heartbreaking to see these come through. Uh, Alan Taylor over at The Atlantic put together a good edit, but it, it was made before the tropical storm had rolled through. So there was even more devastation to document. Um, and Getty, AP, and Reuters were all on the ground. And then we have a, a photo package out of the Wall Street Journal uh, that's covering that the flooding that that was caused by Tropical Storm Grace. Uh, they had um, they had a set of images that they were getting off the wire from Reuters, uh, Henry Romero, Ricardo Arduengo, um, Joseph Odelin uh, out of the AP. Heartbreaking images uh, that 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 seem kind of all too familiar because of the different sort of climate crises that we've seen even in the United States. Um, when drastic flooding inundates a town and, and people really have nowhere to go when they're covered up in tarps. Um, so we had that visual record. And then, of course, we'd be incredibly remiss not to talk about what the heck is going on in Afghanistan. Of course, everyone's going to have an opinion about, you know, the politics that led to this situation. But we're obviously going to focus on the photos that are coming out of the region. The New York Times uh, had a photo package in a, a piece called Chaos Ensues at the Kabul Airport as Americans abandon Afghanistan. And by now, everyone must have seen these images of civilians all over the tarmac, hanging onto airplanes, literally, literally hanging onto airplanes um, that are illustrative of the desperation that a lot of these people feel because no doubt many of these people are going to suffer, uh, some of them with their lives at the hands of the Taliban. I do want to start with a set of satellite images that came out of a Washington Post article. And these images to me were interesting because, you know, we've seen and, and talked about satellite imagery before. We talked about it in the context of the Ever Given, that large transport ship that was stuck in the Suez Canal. And it was so big that you could see it from, from the satellite imagery. We've talked about satellite imagery covering the Rohingya crisis in Myanmar and the Uyghur detention centers in China. But those images typically show tracts of land that are being cleared and buildings going up. And you can see that, you know, the sprawling complexes that are, that are built over time. The images that we're seeing out of Kabul, you can see people, crowds of people gathered in these areas, making their way to the airport. It, it was sort of stunning to me to see satellite imagery used this way. Um, I, I'm curious to, to know your thoughts on that. 
Yeah, I think I, I think it's interesting how many different types of imagery that we're seeing of this event and what has gone down in Afghanistan in the past week. Um, we're seeing satellite imagery to help show the masses of people that were moving towards the airports to try to get out. We're seeing civilian journalism of their own cell phone footage of the planes taking off and subsequently people falling off the airplanes. Um, and then, of course, we're seeing photojournalists document it, but it does seem to be such a, a varied mix that's coming out. I think that's fascinating. You know, I saw that initial uh, photo and video of the Afghan people on the tarmac at the airport. And it was only a few hours later that I realized that people had video of that same plane taking off. Uh, and then a few hours later after that, I saw that people had recorded what is at this point been verified, uh, you know, humans falling from the plane. Uh, you know, they had, they had held on to mm -hmm. the exterior of the plane and, and they fell off because, of course, you cannot hold on to the side of the plane when it's going several hundred miles an hour. And when you're going up into higher up into the atmosphere, I immediately thought of that falling man photo from 9-11. Mm. Um, it, it, it was sort of hard for me to escape that sort of comparison. Mm -hmm. But my, my thinking about it sort of ended there and it was sort of just this visceral reaction. And then when I was on Facebook... Uh, I'm, I'm friends with Josh Trujillo, who's a, a photographer, and he posted uh, in a public message, I keep thinking how the horrific images of desperate Afghans falling over Kabul from the departing U.S. C-17 are so eerily similar to images of desperate Americans jumping and falling from the burning towers, towers on 9-11, bookends of the same long, awful nightmare. And he's totally right in that, you know, the attack on the Trade Center started the whole military presence of the U.S. in Iraq and Afghanistan. And now as the U.S. pulls out, we're seeing Af Afghani people falling off planes, falling through air and being captured uh, through the images. It, it, he really crystallized kind of the, the unfortunate book ending of this terrible occupation in Af Afghanistan. Yeah, and that falling image, the falling man image, that was censored in the United States for many years, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it, d it didn't really gain uh, circulation until an Esquire article mm, came out by the author right. Tom Junod. Uh, mm. And then there was a lot of speculation of who that was. You know, the, I haven't seen any facts about who the Afghanis were that fell off the plane. But, you know, judging from the videos that we saw, a lot of people tried. Um, and, you know, they found body parts inside of the wheel well of that wow. C-17. Wow. So people were desperate to get out of there. And, and I just can't imagine the conditions on the ground that would lead you to think that, you know, falling from an airplane was a better death than staying in your home country. Of course, as we, uh, we U.S. citizens, were evacuating the embassy there in Kabul, uh, many people made the comparison between the evacuation of the embassy in Saigon during the Vietnam War. Um, you and I were both uh, not born yet when that happened or too, or too young to, to remember when that happened. Uh, and a lot of people were saying that this photo of this helicopter evacuating people from the embassy is going to be this ignominious uh, piece of history and it's really going to turn the tide of, you know, 
U.S. anti-American sentiment or even among Americans, kind of the anti-Biden sentiment. And I got to say, you know, as heartbreaking as that imagery was, I'm just so skeptical about the ability of a single photo nowadays to change the narrative because we're so inundated as a technologically enabled society with imagery. You know, we thought that that John Moore image of the immigrant child on the U.S.-Mexican border was going to change public opinion. We thought, you know, the drowned kids in Greece was going to change the, the opinion on immigration, and it didn't. People just live in their silos, and they get confirmation bias from social media. So in, in this case, comparing this historical event of Vietnam against the evacuation of the, the Kabul embassy— I, I just don't think it's going to make any difference whatsoever. People will kind of point to it, you know, as a curiosity almost. What's your take? I think making comparisons, historic comparisons like that is is a little unrealistic, um, you know, for a lot of factors. And especially now with what we're dealing with on social media of seeing so many doctored and fake photos and fake news, mm. I think that also plays into this a lot where like you mentioned, people are in their own silos and they're getting confirmation bias from social media. And, and sometimes that is just completely fake news. So it is, it is harder, I think, for a single image to um, sway people's opinion. I mean, we're reading in real time that Facebook and Twitter and YouTube are facing content challenges, you know, as we're watching this all unfold in Afghanistan. Um, CNET reported that Adam Mosseri, head of Instagram, had told Bloomberg Television, you know, that IG bans posts from promoting that that promote the Taliban. Um, so just seeing how different social media companies are reacting to this in real time is really fascinating. Um, a, a Facebook spokesperson said that the company has a completely dedicated team. Um, that includes Afghan nationals and native speakers um, to help a- assess the situation in real time, which is just mind-blowing. That, that's totally mind-blowing that they're yeah. trying to make sense of all of this video that you know that's going up and, and images that are going up. Another image that really went viral was uh, this image of a U.S. C-17. I'm not sure whether it was the same uh, plane that had people hanging off of it, but packed with 640 Afghans trying to escape the Taliban. And this came off of the website Defense One. Um, and they were talking about how the pilots made the decision to just go. You know, the, the Afghans had got into the, the body of the plane. They were all seated. And because there was so much chaos going on outside, they could either say, you know, we try to clear the airplane, I guess, with their, with their firepower, or they can just go and, and figure it out later. Um, and I think to the credit of the pilots, they figured it out later and I think they ended up uh, landing in the UAE um, so they got these people out of Af- uh, Afghanistan and hopefully there will be a better future for them but the uh, you know the image that was on Twitter and in a, embedded in a lot of, of uh, photos shows 640 Afghanis who are sitting on the floor uh, <laughs> in a in a I guess the the technique is called floor loading where you just kind of sit together and there's some some uh, straps that come across that help secure you. Uh, in case there's any turbulence. Um, but man, what an image to see all of that going on. It really is. And and 640, I mean, that is no small number. It is yeah. almost a near record-breaking uh, for how much this C-17 can even hold capacity-wise. So, 
the Los Angeles Times' Marcus Yam uh, is based in uh, Asia and Singapore, and he's been reporting uh, out of Afghanistan. I was happy to see that although he's stuck uh, in Kabul, he is awaiting an exfil plan, but the images that he's creating on the ground are horrify- horrifying. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Yam Photo. He's also on Facebook, but he is in the streets capturing the violence that the Taliban has been wreaking. There's a, a really violent photo of a child and a, a mom on the ground, and the child is, you know, the head's been beaten and, and he's bloody and passed out. And uh, I just can't imagine being a journalist with the Taliban around you at this time as well. So we hope that Marcus and the other journalists out there stay safe. Uh, we also came across another tweet from Victor J. Blue. He's a New York-based photojournalist. But he tweeted, you know, right after the Taliban took over Kabul, he said, that feeling when you wake up and go out to introduce yourself to a new Taliban security detail. <laughs> I mean, I just can't imagine, again, these situations where you're just trying to make sure everyone knows that you're there and you have a foreign credential and you're part of the press and hopefully they don't, you know, kill you or, or do anything violent to you. Victor has been reporting for the Wall Street Journal. Uh, some fantastic photos out there. Victor, we hope that you stay safe as well. And then lastly, in regards to Afghanistan, there are two kind of interesting photos of Taliban, I guess, spokespeople or political leaders. There is a photo of the former U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo meeting with the Taliban delegation back in 2019 when the Trump administration was trying to negotiate uh, a deal with the Taliban uh, to keep the U.S. forces from being attacked uh, in exchange for the Taliban being able to, you know, do what they wanted to do, I guess. Uh, it is a photo of Pompeo next to uh, this Taliban uh, political leader. Uh, they are, you know, this is pre-COVID, but they're a good five feet apart. <laughs> they're not shaking hands. Uh, it is an image that, you know, some people are saying is coming back to haunt Pompeo for for trying to strike a deal with the, the Taliban. The interesting comparison is also a photo, kind of a similarly posed photo with a Chinese politician. This is actually during COVID because they're both wearing masks. But the Chinese state uh, counselor and foreign minister Wang Yi met with Mullah Abdul Ghani Baradar, a political chief of Afghanistan's Taliban, uh, in July of this year. And so a lot of the political repercussions is as the U.S. pulls out, China is trying to make sure that they have good relations with the Taliban because they have a small border that they share. And, and they've had uh, issues with, um, you know, trying to control Muslim populations within their borders. It's all very interesting to see, you know, the, the, these grip and grin photos and how they're representing the Taliban's relations with these superpowers from around the world. Uh, I just, I thought it was sociologically sort of fascinating. We're going to have all of the links and all of the photos that we talked about and all of the tweets that we talked about on our blog at blog.photoshelter.com. We're going to end the show on a slightly lighter note. Um, if you have ever walked outside in New York City, if you've ever left your apartment in New York City, you've seen it, the scaffolding. I got one around my building right now. Oh, no. Do you? <laughs> yeah, oh, I my. do indeed. 
that sucks. I'm sorry, Alan. Um, it's, it's on just about every other sidewalk block in Manhattan, and it's become such a part of the cityscape that it's also kind of become part of the culture of New York City streets. Um, so, of course, some company has to come along and try to make it Instagrammable. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> There's a new eight-acre development on the west side of Manhattan, kind of near Hudson Yards, and they have installed a massive interactive park-like structure that acts as scaffolding, but also looks like a giant lemon tree grove art installation that uh, was literally created by a design agency that has worked with Disney in Orlando, Florida. Uh, Photographer John Taggart documented the massive lemon slices for the New York Times. And, you know, honestly, I'm just left with the question, Alan, like, does everything need to be Instagrammed? (laughs) (laughs) You know, my reaction in reading that article was initially kind of the same thing of like, oh God, everyone's just building stuff to be Instagrammed. Right. It is the case that, you know, PR and media exposure nowadays, you know, you're trying to get individuals, the crowdsource version of PR. And that unfortunately is social media. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, a lot of cases it's Instagram. I I will say after reading this article in the New York Times and then also looking at uh, an article from the Architectural Digest, I might go visit the old (gasps) lemon tree grove to see what's (laughs) up. It looks kind of cool. I am, you know, the the typical New York scaffolding or in most parts of the world that I visited, you know, those skinny metal poles. Um, and then wooden or metal uh, uh, infrastructure on top of that to shield yeah. pedestrians. Right. I, I do remember seeing a few years ago nicer versions of that that some developers were using. So I guess this is just the third generation of trying to make scaffolding more appealing. Mm-hmm. You know, they're saying in the article that it's because the buildings are going to take literally years to go up. So they figured they might as well make it nice. I mean, yeah. no, nobody likes walking under the scaffolding. It, it's, no, I, it's dark. I, you know, yeah. you don't know who's around the corner in some of these really narrow ones. Right. Yeah, I will cross the street um, often just to not walk under the scaffolding. I, I don't want to be dripped on. <laughs> I don't want to be. <laughs> I don't want stuff falling on me potentially. Even though that's why it's there is to keep safeguard for pedestrians. I uh, I went to Little Island this past weekend, yeah. um, which is a new development also on the west side. Uh, it's a new park. And, you know, I props to the photographers who made Little Island look really amazing. It does from a distance, and it does when you're not on it. But when you're on it, ah, to be honest, I was like, this is... Ah, yeah, you know, I just wasn't that impressed. You kind of felt like you were in a cattle line going up the little pathways. So that said, I will not be visiting this lemon tree grove <laughs> just well, to see it. <laughs> little Island was primarily paid for by Barry Diller, who's a billionaire married to the fashion designer Diane von Furstenberg. That's uh, right. I think it was something like $250 million to build Ooh. this sort of elevated artificial park that's going to be a performing art space as well as a green space mm-hmm. the 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 lemon tree grove is has been called uh citrovia um yeah. and the developers of of these west side projects are the ones that that have commissioned the artists and creative directors come in and do that 
You can actually follow them on Instagram, Citrovia NYC. It doesn't look, you know, and seeing the tagged photos, it looks like it's not as big as I think it is. Mm. Um, it looks, it, it kind of looks like a, an exhibit that you might see at an NFL stadium on game day. Yeah. Where, you know, it's like a mini football field, you know, and it's got, you know, has lights on it and people want to take their photo on it. That, that's that's kind of vibe I get from it. Yeah. But, you know, it's really close to B&H Photo. So if you're True. in New York and you go to B&H Photo, uh, B&H is on 34th and 9th. And this thing is like on 31st and 10th. Yeah. So you're just a few minutes away. You might, you know, if you're going to get a flashcard, you might as well go check out Citrovia, I guess. Let us know what you think. Yeah, I guess so. You know, another interesting fact I learned from this article that the scaffolding industry is a $13.7 billion industry. Yeah, that is, that's wild. <laughs> so I, I hope that developers keep kind of pushing the envelope with developing new types of scaffolding because I do think the whole beautification, you know, that intent is is well-placed and uh, I think it would be really great for these urban environments. I hope their their first instinct is not to develop them just to make them Instagrammable, to your point. Like, everything doesn't have to be Instagrammable or that doesn't have to be the, you know, the reason for these things to happen in the first place. We can do them because they're beautiful. Yeah, know, Beautiful and functional. Yeah, and functional. That's most important. <laughs> well, everything that we talked about today, you can find on our blog at blog.photoshelter.com. While you're here, hit that subscribe button. Leave us a comment or a rating. You can always tweet at us at Photoshelter. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Photoshelter is the online leader for photography websites and workflow tools. Archive, distribute, and sell your photos in a mobile-friendly, responsive website. Try one free for 14 days at photoshelter.com slash podcast. Then download one of our free educational guides at photoshelter.com slash resources.